You're listening to the Ask Drone You podcast. You ask, we answer your drone questions. Whether you're here to turn your passion into profit or you simply fly for fun, we're a community of learners and teachers who aspire to achieve greatness. We are Drone You. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to your favorite type of show from the Ask Drone You podcast. That is the news episodes that we do each week. Hiya, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me, as usual, for our weekly news segment. Hey, Paul, how are you? And thanks for having me on the show again. Hey, it is always a pleasure. I am doing well. How are you doing this week? Very good, very good. It's finally warming up in New York. We got weather in the 60s and 70s, which for us is, uh, feels like summertime. Wow, well, I'm glad that you are definitely getting some sun as my sunburns have already started their seasonal kick here in the desert. So <laughs> I'm glad that you're getting that good weather. Actually, speaking of good weather, it looks like here in the Southwest, a drone mapping is really helping more and more people explore our lovely area, but not only explore our lovely area, but also see who's been exploring this area thousands of years before yeah. we were. What do you have? Yeah, this goes way, way back in time. Uh, Clayton Lake State Park in New Mexico. It's about, what, four, four and a half hours, I think, north, northeast of uh, from where you are. They, it, it, there's a river there that they dammed back in the 60s. And as they were making the dam and building the spillway, what they discovered is dinosaur tracks that go back thousands and thousands of years. Now, the fact that those tracks are there, of course, is nothing new. What is new this time, though, is that the Central New Mexico Community College worked with their students, as well as the New Mexico Museum of National History and Science, to use drones to actually map out these tracks. So you have a whole group of students flying drones at different altitudes to, to, I guess, to learn how to model as well and how to map, but also to preserve these tracks and make them available online so that anybody anywhere in the world can basically see these tracks and yeah, see uh, what dinosaurs were doing thousands of years ago in uh, what is now New Mexico. Wow, this is literally in like the furthest corner of the state that butts up to Oklahoma, which is, it's crazy. I've never even been up there. Uh, to be honest with you. And this is really cool that drones, again, are just kind of helping preserve, you know, things yeah. that people are really unable to see. But I would say if you do venture into New Mexico, there's a lot of other beautiful things to see as well. But it's just great that, you know, once again, education. And here in New Mexico, I mean, it's really showing yeah. that, you know, New Mexico is really a hub of aviation, or at least it's becoming that, which is really cool. What kind of surprised me as well is that there's this, uh, the curator of the museum, Spencer Lucas, uh, he said that these tracks originate only from four different species of dinosaurs and that they were apparently all made within a single year, which is kind of crazy. Because it, it, it means that it's a snapshot in time, basically, from thousands and thousands of years ago, uh, what is now still visible in this, uh, in this lake bed. Interesting. It makes me wonder if that whole crater that's in the middle of uh, Arizona... Right where they believe that they had the crater that wiped out all of the dinosaurs. It makes me wonder if those tracks are there because of the extreme heat and everything that happened with that asteroid strike or whatever that had happened a long, long time ago. But um, speaking of news from the middle of nowhere, um, DJI, it looks like, has something up their sleeve, but may not actually be what we think it is. What's going on? 
Yeah, this is an announcement from DJI. Uh, it says, unleash your other side, which I don't know if they're referring to my wife or your wife or <laughs> what the heck is going on, but <laughs> they got an event going on on May 15th. Their announcement is going to be made at 9 a.m. Eastern time, New York time, and they're going to uh, unleash a new product. Now, I can't tell you what it is because I know what it is, and we've signed an NDA with uh, DJI, so we can't share any information. Um, of course, you can get some clues out of the announcement. It shows a, a female free diver in a, a pretty elegant position underwater. Uh, so there might be hints related to it being used in the water or underwater, even waterproof. Of course, there's no indication whether this is a drone or a camera or anything else. So we're left guessing there. But mark your uh, calendars, May 15th, 9 a.m. Eastern time for the release of this new uh, DJI product. And of course, on Drone DJ, we'll, we'll cover this as well and have a full review up at that point in time. So don't forget that date. Awesome. Not really excited about that, but I am excited about what else DJI uh, just put out, which it looks like there's a new firmware upgrade for the Phantom 4 RTK. What's going on there? Yeah, this should be right up your alley, I guess. Uh, Phantom 4 RTK, new firmware updates, and really the new features that DJI added seem all uh, to do with mapping. So I'll just read it out to you. Uh, they added 3D photogrammetry operation type. After planning the operation area, the generated flight routes will include a single orthographic flight route and four oblique flight routes. And then furthermore, they added the terrain awareness mode operation type. Uh, that allows you to plan a uh, terrain awareness operation, create a folder in the DJI slash DSM path in the root directory. Uh, so you can actually upload TIFF and TFW files. And what it allows you to do is have the drone basically follow the elevation changes in the terrain as you then later on do your operations. They've added another bunch of stuff as well. Uh, some have to do with uh, remote controller firmware updates for the MG1P, which is an agricultural drone from DJI. Um, so that doesn't really have to do anything with, uh, with mapping. But I was curious to hear your opinion about the uh, added features that DJI added to the Phantom 4 RTK that are specific to mapping, of course. Well, I just have to say I am grateful and excited to see some of these features and will explain them um, as a whole. But just kind of staying at the 60,000 foot level, it, it's really showcasing that, you know, DJI is really behind the curve on the Phantom 4 RTK. And as many surveyors and engineers are saying, you know, they really want to adopt a product once it's proven and once it's, you know, being used systematically, you know, by mm -hmm. other competitors or in other countries where it's proven to work over and over and over again. And I think this is why so many people are still running out, uh, you know, like chickens with their heads cut off and buying Phantom 4 Pros and Phantom 4 Advanced. It's because utilizing third-party applications, you can just do so many more different kinds of mapping with a regular Phantom than you still can with this DJI Phantom 4 RTK. Now, that being said, I am excited about the 3D photogrammetry mode that they've added in the four unique flight routes for 3D mapping. But again, that still limits us in the ability of what we can do as far as complex structures are concerned. Then it also mm -hmm. showcases a lack of understanding from DJI on how complex features can be in very specific buildings, but also other subjects as well, and how you need to utilize a lot of flexibility in gathering imagery in a very specific type of acquisition format that way you can ensure solid overlap, great information, and overall accurate information. 
So while I am excited that they've added that flight and it does allow for uh, more things to be done, there's a long way to go to still allow for everything that we really need. And again, it's going to show why, you know, while the Phantom 4 RTK is a great tool, it's not really fully taking off in a lot of these more precision types of industries like engineering and surveying. People are starting to get into it. They're doing it, but they're also realizing that the older workflow of mapping still is the the bread and butter. Mm-hmm. It is still the Toyota of the entire uh, industry as a whole. And again, I'm excited for these new features, but it just goes to show the RTK isn't quite there yet. Now, when it comes to adding the feature of terrain awareness, pro, uh, terrain awareness, for those of you who aren't familiar with terrain awareness, whenever we have large hills and valleys that showcase an extreme difference at elevation. The reason that we need terrain awareness is because if we map that huge valley at the same altitude that we started at the top of that hill, our ground sampling distance or our resolution for our maps is going to change drastically, which means so will the accuracy. So terrain awareness is really a powerful tool for surveyors, engineers, civil engineers, even cartographers. I mean, it's it's a really important feature. The fact that you have to download your own um, geoid map in order to utilize terrain awareness, uh, it's not the most efficient workflow, but again, very happy that there is some sort of workflow now to at least allow for terrain awareness. But again, you know, you can use a Phantom 4 Pro and Maps Made Easy, terrain awareness, it's available, it auto downloads the file, it's right mm-hmm. there and it follows along. The workflow is much easier than this. So I still think that, you know, again, very grateful that DJI has put this out. Still think we have a long way to go to make it a lot easier and really scalable for operations that are doing mapping um, every single day. Uh, let me ask you this, Paul. I mean, we know that DJI has, uh, has set their eyes on the uh, the enterprise market, which would include, of course, uh, mapping as well. Now, this is already the third firmware upgrade this year for the Phantom 4 RTK. Do you feel that DJI is heading in the right direction with these firmware updates and that, let's say, a couple of months out, maybe they will get to a point where you say, okay, the DJI Phantom 4 RTK now is a legitimate and user-friendly drone to use for mapping purposes? I think that it, it may take longer than a couple of months, in all honesty, because it's not only DJI that's kind of trying to, um, to, to really get mapping to be systematic and efficient, right? Because the DJI Phantom 4 RTK is essentially supposed to make mapping more efficient, using less GCPs, using less control points, supposed to make things much, much faster. But also there are other errors in processing that are really changing the workflow of mapping processing, whether it's Pix4D or Metashape or Bentley. The way that you utilize that workflow is completely different. So it hasn't really become the tool that everyone has thought it would be by creating a much more easy, systematic, and efficient means of mapping. It's not there yet. But that also means it's not also DJI's fault because other these other processing companies are really trying to evaluate, adopt, and evolve their workflow to better work with the RTK. So again, is it a great tool? Fantastic tool. Does it increase accuracy? Yes. Can you still get the same level of accuracy with a regular Phantom and a really high-end grade GPS? Yes, you totally can. So I think that uh, you know we are moving along to a more efficient system. It's again, there just needs to be more there. I think that it's you know an industry as a whole. When these mapping processors and DJI kind of get their heads on the same page, I mm-hmm. think it will really become the tool that it's made to be from the very beginning, which, you know, we've been promised terrain awareness for a very long time, Haya, 
and uh, we're just now getting it in a way that well, it's it's the workflow is very um, um, traditional for you know surveyors as far as you know taking yeah. those files and uploading them. But as far as creating scalable systems, this is not how we are going to create scalable systems and increase the value of the RTK. So again, you know, I, when you say, will it be there in three months? Maybe. I think it's going to take more towards the end of the year, if not into next year, when this is a system that everyone is like, Phantom 4 RTK is the go-to mapping system. It's just not there yet. doesn't have enough flexibility. And the long and the short of this is, because I'm really trying to not rabbit hole too hard, uh, the long and the short of it is, this is not making mapping more efficient just yet. It's getting there, but it's not there yet. There's more to talk about here, I think, because DJI kind of creates this very difficult situation now with the discontinuation of the Phantom 4 Pro series. Like we know we can't buy that anymore directly from DJI. You have to look online. You have to go to retailers or find it on eBay if you want to get a used or a new DJI Phantom 4 Pro. They're still pushing these firmware updates out for the Phantom uh, 4 Pro RTK. What happens if, I mean, th those drones aren't cheap, right? So if you need that for your business, you're going to buy, what, one, two of those drones? And then what happens when you need replacement parts down the road? Or if something breaks, you're going to send it into DJI for repair. Like, how much longer is DJI going to be able to repair those drones? Uh Unfortunately, you kind of cut out there. So I think what you were saying is how long will they be able to essentially support this? And if you actually notice, there's been a change in the writing mm. of the uh, DJI Care refresh. So if you buy a Phantom 4 Pro or Phantom 4 Advance, the refresh has actually been changed. It says, we can't give you a new drone, we're gonna give you a refurbished drone. So uh, you ask a very good poignant question. Frankly, I'm not really sure. I mean, you know that there was a firmware issue with the other Phantoms last week, but DJI very quickly rolled out another firmware upgrade to correct that issue. So, you know, the answer is we don't know, but it's also really interesting when we're seeing all these other things come out from DJI and is it a drone? Is it not a drone? It seems like DJI should be focusing on the market that they've been serving from the beginning. Maybe that this is showcasing a larger shift in the market as a whole. I'm not sure, but I think we should move on to our next point of discussion because we've kind of gone really down the rabbit hole with this RTK. And I just want to wrap it up and say, look, for everyone who's out there doing mapping, the RTK is, is in a phenomenal tool when you have a great RTK network that you can connect to and uh, you have a, a means to connect to it. Again, we are still seeing a lot of groups that are just going the traditional route with mapping because it's easier to set up a program it's easier to utilize existing surveying technology to just go out and mark GCPs. Now, the Phantom 4 RTK can save a lot of time, but we're still not seeing it just yet. So excited to see what happens with that. But you know what? Okay, since we're on the topic of DJI releasing a bunch of crap, why don't we talk really quick about you know the whole idea here? Because we've been talking on a macro level. What is DJI doing with their drones and other pieces of equipment? So what's going on with the Mavic 2 Smart Remote? Because it seems like there's now some added functionality with this new update from DJI that could make the Smart Remote kind of a key to growth down the road. What do you see happening? 
That's that's what we expect for sure. I mean, uh, the DJI Smart Controller is going to play a crucial role for the DJI Mavic 2 series for commercial and enterprise customers. And uh, you can see that already with the latest firmware update for the Smart Controller, you can now actually manage and fly multiple drones from the same controller. So you don't have to rebind them individually. You can just switch right from the screen from one uh, DJI drone to the next. And any future drone, not that we know of any drone coming down the pike, but any future drone from DJI that would use OcuSync 2.0 would be able to be used in that same way. So you'd be able to switch to that drone as well from your DJI smart controller. Now, for let's say smaller drone operators this, who may only fly one or two drones, this may not offer such a great benefit, but you can imagine for smaller enterprise organizations where they have fleets of drones and probably also multiple of these controllers, it will make the operation a lot easier if you can manage and fly different drones from the same device. So that's one part. Now, what we've heard uh, through rumors from people pretty close to DJI is that DJI is gonna come out with a, uh, a software development kit, so an SDK that will allow third-party developers to make their apps compatible with the DJI Smart Controller. So think, for instance, uh, of apps like Litchi. Uh, you'd be able to use that directly from the controller. So this opens up new apps for drone pilots, but also it allows enterprise customers who might have fleets of hundreds of drones to develop their own software applications and run them directly from the smart controller. So you can see how the smart controller and the Mavic 2 Enterprise uh, yeah, go uh, together hand in hand and would allow um, commercial drone operators or larger commercial drone operators to manage their fleets of drones very effectively and get exactly out of those uh, aircraft what they need for their business. I think that definitely makes, you know, the smart remote a lot more useful, especially for, you know, public uh, public agencies that are just, they're trying to decide, do I buy the Mavic 2 Enterprise or do I buy the Mavic 2 Pro or Mavic 2 Enterprise Dual? I'm not really sure. So I think that definitely uh, helps them out, definitely helps out a lot of the larger um, commercial pilots as well. But moving on from releases from DJI, um, well, you know what? Actually, before we do that, let me put you on the spot really quick, Haya. With all this stuff, do you think we're going to see a new drone from DJI this year? There might be a newer version of the DJI Mavic 2. So think of that as a platinum edition like we've seen before or just a version 2.0. Um, more likely that will not happen until 2020. So we're not quite sure still yet on DJI's timeline. Uh, hopefully it will be this year. I'm not sure. When we talk about drones from DJI, what we do expect this year to come out still is a Spark 2. And I don't know if that's, the drone is going to be significantly different, but the rumors are that uh, it's going to have 4K video, which it didn't have in the current version, and also an improved gimbal setup. Um, because you don't want your camera feed to look like this when you're flying a drone? Yeah, exactly. I think you got that right. It's, it's going to look a little better, but it, it's still the spark, right? So it's a consumer drone at the at the lower end of DJI's offering, if not the lowest end. So even if you get 4K video, you get a better gimbal. Uh, you're most likely not going to get things like OcuSync 2.0. Very interesting. Well, I don't think we're going to see a new drone over the $500 mark. That's at least the word on the street that I've been hearing from these various conferences and whatnot. So. Hopefully we can put a lot of those rumors to bed. Um, now, let's talk about, you know, drones are doing some good things again, and we're seeing more and more drones uh, in the Hollywood space, but it seems like the traditional players in the Hollywood space are getting booted 
by people who have more operational freedom. So what is going on? I know you met these guys at the Expo conference and whatnot, but tell us all about what's going on with this XM2 drone, because it looks like it could literally take my kids to camp every day if I were to have kids. Yeah, it could, it could, and uh, that would not be a bad use, right? Just flying to camp from your from your living room. During uh, AUVSI Exponential 2019, we uh, went to this presentation, Drones in Hollywood, and the presentation was given by a company by the name uh, XM2. It's an Australian company, and they were showing how they use drones for feature movies, and then think about movies like Star Wars. They used it for the series uh, Westworld, Aquaman, like all the big names. This company was flying their drones. And it shouldn't really come as a surprise. It's just an Australian company. Australia is much more lenient when it comes to flying larger drones, especially large drones that you would need for cinema productions. And the reason being is that those directors um, have such high requirements for resolution. And this is not just because they want to get the quality on the big screen, but also high resolution allows them to run special effects in post-production and also allows them to pan the camera uh, over that footage digitally. So it wasn't a real pan shot as when they took the footage, but then in post-production, you can still create that effect because you have so much resolution to work with. So these are all custom-made drones. They carry uh, seriously expensive and heavy camera equipment. And in previous times, when we tried to talk to people in the film industry and how they use drones, most people in the US either don't want to talk about it or they can't talk about it because they're under NDA. And... or a non-disclosure agreements. And this Australian company was actually the first one who were very open. They showed in their presentation different movies about how they use drones, the kind of things that happen with those drones, the kind of cameras that they use for those drones. And it was actually really, really impressive. The drones are expensive. They have three models. Their cheapest one is slightly less than 20,000 uh, US dollars. And the most expensive one is $70,000. But then you would mount your camera and your lenses, and now you have a package that uh, that can go airborne, uh, costing you about five or six hundred thousand dollars in total. So these are very very expensive uh, packages. We did an interview with uh, Aidan Kelly, who is one of the co-founders of the company and uh, also the COO. You can check that out on our YouTube channel. Uh, he kind of talked us through the different drones, and yeah, it's it's really impressive to see the kind of aircraft that they developed and also how far they've come. And it kind of hurts the drone companies here in the US because of course here in the US, you can't fly drones that carry such heavy payloads. And that's been holding those companies back in terms of developing the kind of drone technology that you would need for those uh, type of solutions. So unwillingly, I think the FAA has given a head start to companies like XM2 from Australia. Yeah, it's crazy too that they're carrying, you know, film cameras, like literally 65 and 75 millimeter film cameras. But it also just goes to show that like, you know, there were some big companies, I know Cinedrones was one of them, and uh, Copter Kids is another one that, you know, we were all thinking was owning the market. But I mean, with names like Star Wars, with Aquaman, with, I mean, Westworld, Pacific Rim, Thor, Pirates of the Caribbean, they are literally taking all the huge budget movies And, you know, this is honestly really cool because it goes to showcase that, like, if you're willing to work in other countries and follow their rules, which are much more lenient than the United States, it's actually going to affect your ability to fly, like, with U.S. companies. I mean, it's it's crazy. But, you know, it seemed like at the conference last week 
that a lot of people were saying, you know, this is a regulation year. We're really not going to get any more um, drone uses, BVLOS, flight over people mm -hmm. until we get remote ID and everything is built up on remote ID. Yeah. And we're kind of coming to a point where it's like, okay, everyone sees that regulation is now holding back this industry light years beyond everyone else. And it's also kind of coming to a point where there are more unlicensed drone pilots than there are licensed drone pilots. And a lot of people, uh, you know, have heard me say that are wondering, well, you know, how do you, how do you calculate that? And it's like, let's just take all the number of FPV pilots that are part of the Rotor Riot group alone. And all those people who are flying for money, they are flying Cinewhoops in film. We're seeing these super tiny drones, you know, with, mm. with small cameras on them that are, are literally taking jobs away from people flying Phantoms and flying Mavics and even Inspires. And now it's also, you know, being shown that with our 55-pound weight limit, we are also losing the biggest, some of the biggest opportunities in film to companies that are from outside of the United States that can fly much larger yeah. drones. So it just goes to show that, like, you know, we are definitely in a weird predicament with the industry as a whole. Uh, the FAA really is is stuck in a tight position right now. Number of pilots who haven't renewed their 107. Uh, we're hearing mm -hmm. stories all the time of, of very large production houses that are specifically hiring drone pilots who do not have a 107 license because they know that the amount of trouble that person can get into is much less than a person who has the 107 license. It's really interesting the the time that we're we're living in right now. Um, and I have to say, like, more power to the XM2 guys who are saying, you know what? Oh, yeah. We we see what's going on. We're not going to try to play inside the lines here. We color with a brush, and uh, we're going to take these jobs. And so they should. I mean, it's an opportunity for them. And it's interesting as well because, of course, Hollywood and the whole – big screen movie production has traditionally been a industry dominated by the US. And now you get these drones and you get all these new aerial perspectives for which you need drones to shoot these scenes. And now all of a sudden it's an Australian company that's kind of taking the lead role here and running away with the market. Well, it just goes to show that we are truly living in a global economy. Oh, yeah. And at some point you have to ask yourself, when does someone go out and just blatantly challenge the FAA and say, this is a violation of the Sherman Act. You are creating a monopoly around an industry and limiting it from growing, you know, citing safety issues, yet we're one of the safest groups in entire, of all aviation, like literally. So anyway, all right, I'm off my high horse on that one. Sorry, Haya. But it is, you know, it's something that we are hearing a lot about right now and it's, it's becoming a very prevalent issue and people want me to talk about it and here I am talking about it. So Hopefully, I made everyone really happy. Now, let's get to some positive news. Okay, yeah. it looks like the FAA might have actually opened up some regulatory hurdles to a company with an astronomical amount of money to now allow for drone delivery. What's going on? Yeah, this is the first official FAA-sanctioned or FAA-approved uh, drone delivery service. It runs in North Carolina. North Carolina is probably one of the more advanced states when it comes to the use of drones, but more about that in uh, in a future article on Drone DJ as well. WakeMed, the hospital campus, uses drones together with UPS to um, fly blood samples and other medical samples from their hospital 
to a laboratory on their campus. Now, typically this would have been brought over on foot, which takes about 45 minutes. It's a massive campus complex. Now they use drones up to eight flights per day and they ship 200 samples per day. And by doing it this way, they can actually deliver the samples in about four minutes. So that's significantly faster. And apparently they shave off at least half an hour, if not up to three hours of the turnaround time. So that means that if people have blood drawn for, for sample taking and they need to get results back, they would get those results back much, much faster. Again, this is done in partnership with UPS. And of course, they hope to be able to spend this uh, in the coming months, if not years, to other hospitals around the country. Uh, but pretty exciting news uh, from North Carolina. You know, continue. I, I just have to say something that just totally kind yeah. of came out to me as you're talking about this. We were just talking about the FAA being a hindrance to uh, growth in this industry. And here's another company that went outside of all the drone law, part 107, and went for part 135 and said, Okay, we see UFA, we can't be a drone delivery service, but we're going to be a drone delivery service, but we're going to call ourselves an air carrier delivery service. You see what I'm saying here? So yeah. it's just interesting that a lot of companies are just literally skirting the rules in different ways. Well, I, I guess they have to, right? I mean, you, you need clear uh, rules in order to build your business on. And if the rules are not clear or they're not defined yet, then you have to look for other ways to make it happen. I mean, wing aviation that we uh, spoke about in the previous episodes is another example where they went another route in order to uh, to be able to get the drone delivery service off the ground in the U.S. And the lack of clarity and the lack of rules holds back a lot of companies in the U.S. from using drones for commercial purposes. I mean, take a look at Zipline, for instance. They're hugely successful in Africa. They've been doing, what is it, like 13,000 successful drone deliveries in Rwanda. They're expanding their service now on a national scale in Ghana. Uh, and they're bringing medication and uh, medical samples to remote locations by drone. They've been doing it safely. They've been doing it successfully on a large scale. And meanwhile, here in the U.S., they can't really get off the ground because we don't have the regulatory framework to support it. Yeah, it's very, very interesting to see how it will all play yeah. out. Hopefully things will speed up over there because it seems like the infrastructure that they set up is really not – it's really not working so far. So anyway – that is an intense week of news. I know we're going to have some new news next week um, as that new DJI product will be coming out and some other announcements that should be coming out as well. Hi, I just want to say thanks for having you on the show, man. Really do appreciate it. Glad to be here as always, uh, Paul, and uh, looking forward to the next show next week. So am I. And guys, if you have a question, go to askdroneu.com, upload that question. Definitely want to hear your feedback. And look forward to hearing it in the groups as well. Hi, I hope you have a great day, great week ahead. And thanks again for being on the show. My pleasure. And we'll talk again next week, Paul. Sounds good. Well, that's going to do it for us today, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks again for watching. Thanks again for supporting the show. If you like these shows and you're finding them useful or entertaining, give them a share. Leave us a review. That helps the show grow. And that means you're helping the community grow as a whole. Thanks again for watching. My name is Paul. This is Ask Drone You. We believe that videos, images, words, and sounds have the absolute power to inform, inspire, and entertain. We reject indecision, confusion, and vanity, for they work against the community. We are united under the virtues of safety and knowledge. We are a training community of learners and teachers who encourage and energize each other to achieve greatness. We are pilots, videographers, 
photographers, freelancers, business owners, enthusiasts, experts, and apprentices. We are creators. We are the Drone Youth.